Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor of Politics and Washington Correspondent at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director here at TheGrio.com. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, is monogamy still the move? Valentine's Day is days away, and on today's show, we're talking about relationships and Black love. But in true Dear Culture fashion, we're switching things up and thinking outside of the proverbial box of chocolates. I mean, you know, they say you never know what you're going to get. And love is like that, too. For sure, you know, we all know love is love, and it comes in all shapes and sizes, and there's no telling when or where Cupid's arrow may strike. But can it strike more than once? And if it does, can we still do right by the people or person that we have love for? Our guest today will walk us through what it's like to consider consensual non-monogamy in all its forms. Our first guest, Shanae Jackson Kendall, is a Black polyamorous educator, activist, and event planner. She has openly identified as polyamorous for more than a decade. She also co-planned Black Poly Pride, a celebration of the Black polyamorous love style. She currently lives with her partners and co-parents in a Western Atlanta suburb. Our second guest, Cherie Calico Roman, is a Black polyamorous educator and community organizer who co-founded the Poly Cultural Diversity Alliance and its cornerstone event, Black Poly Pride. She has identified as queer and non-monogamous since the age of 12, and Cherie grew up in a community where plural relationships were rooted in marriage and religion, later separating her relational preferences from religious dogma. She quickly became well-known for her candid commentary on the self-journey that is at the root of polyamory. Her life is enriched by relationships with her polycule, which we'll talk more about with her on today's show. Shanae and Cherie, welcome to Dare Culture. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, welcome. So I want to make sure we clear something up. No language really matters. And for our listeners, uh, I want to be sure that they understand that we're talking about polyamory, but also people get polyamory and polygamy confused. There is a difference. So let's start here. How do we define polyamory and what is the difference between polyamory and polygamy? I'll jump in on that. So Polyamory is the practice or willingness to participate in multiple committed relationships with the full consent of all involved. Multiple committed? All right, girl. All right. (laughs) I, I also feel like that separates from polygamy because polygamy is typically rooted in marriage and polyamory is not. Uh, okay. And it's also important to note that polygamy is very frequently represented in our culture as something where a man has multiple wives. Polyamory is rooted in womanist theory, in the idea that we all have an equal right to choose our relationships for ourselves. Got it. So essentially, so essentially we're saying that consent is required for either polygamy or polyamory uh, by all parties involved, because otherwise if it's, if there's no consent, it's just cheating. Hoeing. It's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Consent and transparency. I think those two work in tandem when it comes to polyamory, um, because you do have other relational styles like open relationships or don't ask, don't tell that kind of fall under the umbrella, but aren't exactly polyamory just because of their foundational elements. Mm. 
Right. So the the overarching umbrella then would be non-monogamy versus monogamy. Under the umbrella of non-monogamy, you may have swingers, you may have people in open relationships, but we're particularly talking about polyamory. So going so just to be clear, anyone who who is polygamous, they are practicing polyamory, but not all people who are polyamor who polyamorous are engaged in polygamy. No. <laughs> So anyone who is non-monogamous has more than one partner. If you're consensually non-monogamous, then everyone knows about it. If you're polyamorous specifically, then all people in the relationship have equal access to have their own relationships with the full consent of all involved. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's about levels of consent, transparency, and access. Got it. Got it. Listen, and first off, we just we just have to acknowledge I love the fact that first off is death to the patriarchy. So the fact that you said that it is rooted in, in womanist ideology and because it, it, it there's all these layers of transparency, that sounds like women. OK, we just do it better. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm really interested in like getting a bit uh, deeper into understanding as to like why people would choose a polyamorous lifestyle. Cause I'm going to be fully transparent with y'all ladies. I don't believe in poly nothing. All right. We, if it's me and you and that's it. All right. Now, um, I, I, and, and I mean, it's so funny because there are so many more polyamory is more popular than one would think. Right. So Let's just go with some stats. According to a 2021 Newsweek report, one in nine Americans have been in a polyamorous relationship and one in six would like to try one. Uh, around 30 to 40 percent of Americans like cheat on their partners. So I'm guessing they're thinking that this is a, you know, this is a little easier way to get around that. Um, and let's also be very, you know, all inclusive for our listeners this includes black folks. I know a lot of the times we're thinking polyamory is just some white mess. It is not. Okay. <laughs> white people tend to be on the fa- the face of polyamory, but the German Journal of Psychology reports that people of color are just as likely to engage in consensual non-monogamy. So again, I'm, and this is for both of you ladies, uh, because I, I would love to hear from both of you on this question. Why do each of you choose to live a polyamorous lifestyle? And, you know, why did you find, why did you found Black Poly Pride? Um, what was the, the purpose of that? Sheree, let's start with you. Well, for me, um, I believe that polyamory is not only a love style, but it's also a sociopolitical stance. Um, it asserts the notion that women do have the same relational rights as men. And for me, that was really important as a foundation to loving relationships. And this is a question that I've been pondering a lot recently, especially since the pandemic. You know, we are recognizing a need for interdependent relationships and community. And I do believe that my polyamory is a foundational cornerstone of my community. Uh, My polyamory, polyamorous relationships extend beyond those that are romantic they also recognize platonic partnerships um, co-parenting relationships and it's just a more expansive style of relating to me that allows for the totality of my identity to be present in my loving relationships um, to add to add to that and to speak for myself personally, I reject the idea that monogamy is a choice. Monogamy is just a function of capitalism. Really, monogamy is something that is instituted by capitalism to limit how much we're able to accomplish. 
right? If you can only have one partner, that means there's only two incomes in a household. If you can only have one partner, then that means there's only two people to raise a child. And so I choose polyamory because I have a choice. And just like monogamy is a valid choice for anyone, polyamory then too is a valid choice for me because I choose to be expansive and have more life, more love in my life instead of limiting the ways and people that I'm able to show love to and build and enjoy my life with. Mm. All right. Outside the box. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we're getting pretty deep here. I'm loving this. Um, so to do a deeper dive into this conversation, let's talk about the vocabulary because our producers gave us a list of vocabulary. You have kind of touched on some of these terminologies. There's solo poly folks. There's the triads. There's V's, Z's, polycules, kitchen table poly, don't ask, don't tell poly. Um, that's a lot of terminology. To, so let's talk about the structures. Cherie, let's start with you. Can you share a bit more about uh, the different types of structures in the poly world and what structure or structures do you currently participate in? Absolutely. So we can call them structures or dynamic choices. And you have, I think the one that's most represented is the triad, right? Where you have three partners and typically there is one man and two women. Um, that's what we mostly see represented in the media. But I love polyamory because it does go well beyond that. You also have um, a an open V where you have one partner who is a hinge partner who may have two auxiliary partners. Um, you have kitchen table poly, where that means that all of my partners would be comfortable to come over at the house and sit down at a kitchen table together, whether be it they in a relationship together or not, right? We call um, my partner's partner would be my meta. So we are not in a romantic relationship together, but I recognize the relationship that they have with one of my partners. Um, me specifically, I have an expansive polycule. Um, we are all in a relationship together. So I do have five partners. Um, we operate within a group dynamic and I also have metas you know some of all of my partners we are open um, and so we do not have a closed dynamic meaning that we are able to function outside of our polycule and establish other loving relationships with other people and um, the, that's what I participate in currently and so so for me I think it's important to kind of speak to um, the fact that solo polyamory is a thing. And what solo polyamory means is that I choose, not me particularly, but solo polyamorists choose to live their life without enmeshment. So without sharing finances, without sharing a home, um, but they do choose to share their life romantically with other people. Um, so that's another very valid form of polyamory that is not often represented, probably just because it's not as spicy. You know, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have the wow factor, but it's out there. Um, personally, for me, my partners and I operate within a family dynamic that is most um, often referred to as like kitchen table polyamory, wherein um, we're still all open and able to uh, take partners as we wish, but we operate cooperatively to live our lives and raise our child. Okay, listen, y'all are blowing my mind right now okay <laughs> and um I, I just want to make sure i'm like understanding because <clears throat> i know a few folks in polyamorous relationships and i've heard them kind of refer to their terms of like primary partners which 
would then imply that they're like our secondary or tertiary partners, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm wondering, um, and Shanae, I'd love for you to answer this question first. <laughs> um, for polyamorous couples or group relationships, V's, Z's, and the, the other structures across all, all the alphabet, are they all hierarchical? And like, what type of structures have you participated in that worked really well for you? Because again, I'm... This, uh, this, you, y'all, 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 <laughs> y'all blowing my mind right now. <laughs> okay, so some polyamorous relationships are, are hierarchical, which means that they may have a primary partner, someone with whom they have chosen to build a life. So they may have the typical trappings of monogamy. They may be married. They may share a home. They may enmesh their finances, and then they also have other partners to which their life is not as enmeshed. They may have, you know, they may share some things, but they don't have all those interwoven pieces. I think one of the myths of polyamory is that um, most or all polyamorous relationships are set up in this way, and it's not. Um, I find that most people, when entering polyamory, go for a hierarchical dynamic because it feels safer. And I, I would I would refer to hierarchical dynamics as polyamorous training wheels. Um, generally what happens as people grow and evolve is that they realize that love is not something that can be legislated. (laughs) For our listeners, if y'all, y'all need to be catching up on, uh, catching up with us on, on YouTube because my face right now is like, okay, all right, educate me. (laughs) Uh, But speaking of, go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the important things to also keep in mind is that All of the safeguards that we think monogamy provides are not real, right? So people get people get married, right? And you think that's secure, but six hundred dollars and two signatures is a divorce, right? So what's the there's no there's no security in monogamy. It's all this concept and this idea that if we only have one partner, we're somehow more secure than if we're open to having multiple partners. Do you, so here's a random question. I'm sorry, Sheree, go ahead. I was going, just going to say, I do think it's important to recognize that there is a difference between prescriptive and descriptive hierarchy in relationships. And sometimes that the hierarchy does just inherently happen. We still live inside of a society that is dictated largely by monogamy. And so sometimes that can happen by just by happenstance. Whereas then you do have two married partners who are tied to this contract that they entered into, but then they find polyamory and they decide to live outside of that indoctrination. And so I really do think that it's sometimes a personal choice and it's really on a case by case basis and something that partners should discuss whenever they're entering into to a relationship together. Gotcha. Mm. And so, Sinead, like you mentioned there, um, you know, there are a lot of us who are under the impression that there's a certain amount of security that comes with just having a, I, I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm like, I know there's no security in that. I've seen my married friends be unmarried, uh, conscious uncoupling very quickly. Uh, so I guess my question to you is, what is that security that you're getting from a polyamorous type of situation? Well, I will say I, I, it's important for me to note that I am married, right? And I was polyamorous when I got married. So we intentionally entered into a marriage knowing that we would that we were polyamorous and, we, and would continue to practice polyamory. So marriage is essentially a legal contract. It provides protections for both parties, right? And then everything else outside of that legal contract is really up for the two parties to discuss, 
right? It's up to us to decide how we will operate our marriage and, and what things um, we will agree to do together and what things we agree to share with other people. So I, I think that there's a lot of intentionality involved in polyamory that's not present in traditional monogamous relationships because I think that we just do what everyone else does. We just kind of do what's prescribed to us. Like we call it the relationship escalator, right? So relationships follow this set. You meet, you fall in love, you move in together, you get married, you have a baby. Like this is how it goes. And so what I'm encouraging more black people, especially young black people to do is to interrogate whether that actually worked Whether that's working for you, whether waiting around for all these things to happen before you pursue your life is something that's actually beneficial. Uh, And so I want to talk about the difference between some relationships don't always have, don't always uh, involve sex. I think that love and sex can be conflated, but with or without sex, all relationships can get messy and sometimes even complicated. And so I would love to hear from you both on this question on what are some common norms or boundaries that you use to support a healthy, honest relationship? And if you've ever experienced jealousy or a partner who was jealous, how did you manage that? Well, one, I definitely think it's important to know the difference between boundaries and rules because boundaries are for me and my own self-governance. And so For me, I think that boundaries that I have in place typically surround what are our ethical um, foundational elements of this relationship that we are adhering to. And we're agreeing to be honest. We are agreeing to be transparent. Um, We are agreeing to uh, give each other space um, and room to practice and participate fully in polyamory. And those are some of my foundational um, boundaries that I have set in place in my relationships. And they're for my own self-governance. Like I say, if someone is imposing upon um, my ability to participate in a relationship that has those values at the root of it, I then have to pull back on myself and say, okay, how am I going to pivot this relationship? Or is it time for me to exit this relationship? Um, As far as jealousy goes, I believe that jealousy is a valid emotion. And oftentimes it is a flag for us to check in with ourselves because jealousy is an emotion yes but what's at the root of that jealousy what's happening for me that is causing me to experience this emotion is it I'm seeing my partner go out on their first date with a new person and they're all excited and they're experiencing of this new relationship energy that has them all shiny and glowy and giddy and we haven't been out on a date in in four weeks or you know two months whatever it may be and I'm feeling jealous about that. Is my jealousy surrounding my partner or the experiencing they're having their experience they're having? Not necessarily. It's more so about the relationship that we are engaging in and perhaps we've been neglecting parts of our relationship and that's what I want to bring to the table. 
And so having a safe place for communication about these emotions and not having to suppress them and saying, hey, I'm feeling really jealous right now. And you don't own that, right? These are my emotions and I'm taking accountability for them. But I am looking for you to participate in helping me manage these emotions, right? I've processed them on my own. I've come to the conclusion that this is what's at the root of my jealousy. What can we do together to absolve this, right? I've done my personal work. So I definitely think polyamory um, causes us to be more reflective about owning our emotions, which emotions belong to us, right? What's our work to be done in processing those and then working in tandem with our partners to be expressive about those emotions and to be solution oriented in our relationships moving forward. And and I would say that that I'm glad that Sheree made that distinction between rules and boundaries, because a lot of people when entering into non-monogamy, they think that rules will save them. Right. And so we really it's a there, there's so much self-work to be done in polyamory. Right. To talk about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to conduct myself. And so. As an example, one of the the overarching ideas that I have for myself is to keep my eyes on my own paper. Right. And one of the things that that links to your question about jealousy, because I find if my eyes are on my own paper, if I'm worried about my relationship, if I'm worried about things that affect me, if I'm minding my business, then I don't have I'm not worried about what's going on in somebody else's relationship. And so when jealousy occurs for me personally, like Cherie says, it's often a reminder that you're perhaps not getting a need met. Because if I'm eating, I'm not mad somebody else is eating. But if I'm hungry and somebody else is over there eating crab legs, it's going to be a whole problem. <laughs> so that, that's, you know, that's what it becomes about yourself. And are you actively and proactively advocating for yourself to get your needs met? Yeah. And it's so crazy. I think there's a there's a deep level of maturity and self-realization that has to take place if you're going to embark on a journey like this. And it's I'm so glad that you uh, I think, Shanae, you were the one who said it like, you know, there's certain aspects of polyamory that aren't shown in the media or aren't talked about in the media because it's not as sexy and, you know, being able to be honest about your feelings and like, no, let's get into it (laughs) is is that's not the sexy part. And I think it's really interesting that we look at these things and think of them as things that we need for polyamorous relating, because really, these are things that work or should be happening in monogamous relationships as well. They're just not. And so I always question, like, why are monogamous people not doing this? Why are these things that we're not being taught? Right. Why is this so opposite of our conditioning. We're so conditioned to repress our feelings, to not communicate, to not identify who we are in relationship with other people. These are things that I think that you can utilize in every relationship style, whatever that choice of relating may be. These are important pillars. And and for me to be clear, that's one of the reasons I choose polyamory. Because monogamous people are not doing that self-work. There's a lot of assumptions about how things will go. Assumptions about things I will provide for you, things I will do for you. And I prefer to have those conversations and negotiate my relationships and you not hold me accountable for anything I haven't agreed. Yeah, that's deep. And, 
you know, I've said like polyamory is not necessarily for me, mainly because I'm lazy. I don't feel like having to engage multiple people. <laughs> but um, one thing I do acknowledge um, in terms of monogamy and that I think I, I admire so much about polyamory is there's this idea, and I don't know if this is a patriarchal thing, if this is a capitalist thing of you are supposed to be someone's everything if you have like a singular partner. And that to me has been insane. I don't, I don't need my man to be everything for me. I don't need you to be my, my best friend, my therapist, none of, like any of that. So I, I love the fact that there is this level of communication and deep, deep honesty within self and with, with your partners that is absolutely necessary for polyamorous relationships. Um, so kudos to y'all. Like y'all are, y'all the goats right now, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but this is our last question for you. Um, for all the folks, especially young black folks who are interested in learning more about polyamory, but might be hesitant, might be, you know, still sticking to societal norms. What guidance would you give them or what resources might you suggest they check out to learn about more? Shanae, let's start with you. Okay, so that's a hard question. And the reason why that's a hard question is because polyamory is a deeply it's like we talked about, it's a work of self and you learn so much about polyamory through engaging in it. So I think the best thing I can um, encourage people who are interested in polyamory to do is to actually find real polyamorous people and talk to them. The internet is an amazing place to do that. Um, find communities, both online communities and, you know, once Corona isn't ravaging our life, like in real life communities where you can talk to people, associate with people, have real life um, examples of how polyamory is working and can work in your life. And I think that the other thing I would ask people to do before engaging in non-monogamy in any way is to go ahead and do some of that self-work. Know who you are. Know what your flaws are. Know what your strengths are. Be Become familiar with what you are looking for out of a relationship. And really focus on being a good partner. Because if you can't be a good partner to one person, you sure as hell can't be a good partner to more than one. So I think it's really important to, like Shanae said, go on that self journey, discover who you are as a partner and learn about love. Um, I definitely think that we think about polyamory as something separate almost from love and intimacy, but really fortifying what that means for you. So I always say definitely reading all about love by love by bell hooks, because it flips a lot of the notions about love, um, traditional love anyway, on its head. And there is not, has never been a better time to identify as non-monogamous or polyamorous than right now. There's so much information out there and it's really important to separate um, the information that you're given, getting, right? Because you can have polyamorous theories and then there's a polyamorous reality and practice that you will be living. So be careful about the information and the intake that you're getting. There are so many wonderful people online on Instagram that you can follow us at Black Poly Pride. We're oftentimes sharing these platforms on our own just to get their voice and their messages out there. And you can follow these people, follow their journey, but making sure that you personalize your own. Well, Shanae and Cherie, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on Dear Culture. 
I say this often, but I try to lead with love in every facet of my life and really look through everything through a lens of love. And this is such an important reminder that people are not possessions, that they are humans and deserve to be loved and to love in whatever structure that looks like for them. If you want to learn more about Shanae Kendall Jackson and Cherie Calico Roman, you can follow them on Instagram at workwithshanae and at Cherie Calico. You can also visit Black Poly Pride's website at www.blackpolypride.com. That's B-L-A-C-K-P-O-L-Y-P-R-I-D-E.com. And of course, for more news and commentary on the culture, visit The Griot's website at www.thegriot.com and follow Dear Culture on Instagram at DearCulturePod. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Exquisite Elite Matchmaking. Exquisite Elite Matchmaking is a Houston-based, Black-owned matchmaking company founded by Karen Davis, a certified dating coach and matchmaker with a romantic heart. Karen founded the company to support busy professionals looking for a quality match that they both desire and deserve with the goal of increasing the marriage rate in her community. To learn more about Exquisite Elite Matchmaking, visit their website at exquisiteelitematch.com. That's E-X-Q-U-I-S-I-T-E-E-L-I-T-E match.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Henriquez-Payne, and Abdul Caduce.